Hey, my name is Lucas, and I want to welcome you to the official podcast of Coastline Young Adults from Coastline Church in Victoria. This podcast is dedicated to encouraging you in your faith and helping you apply it to real life in real time. Here you'll find messages from our weekly service at Coastline Nights and other conversations where we talk and tackle what it means to be a follower of Jesus in today's culture. Everything you find here will point you to the truth and hope of Jesus. So grab a beverage, enjoy the message, and lean into how God wants to speak to you today. Welcome here. Uh, my name is Lucas, one of the pastors on staff. Really excited to be with you tonight. Can we do something before we move forward? I usually like to jump right in. Uh, with a story or a thought or the scripture, but I just want to pause just for a brief moment, and I just want to pray over BC, over Kelowna, over West Kelowna, the fires. It's, it's bad out there, friends. Um, I'm from Kelowna. You know I've said that before, Kelbrona, as I like to call it. All my family um, uh, is, is still there. I have a brother who works for the city who's working midnight shifts, holding people so they wouldn't go back into their homes. I have... Um, cousin who's at the bottom of one hill that the fire jumped. So it's obviously personal to me. But I just want to take a moment and pray over Kelowna, to pray over, our, honestly, our province, um, that we would, I hate saying this in the summer, but we'd get some rain, amen, and that these fires would cease. And just like Delmar said, that he cares for us, he sees us, he's not far from us, that we would pray that same prayer over every person affected. Would you bow your heads with me for a moment? Can you do me a favor too? Pray with me, not just, um, you know, don't just let me do the talking. Let's pray together. So Heavenly Father, before we begin tonight and dive into your gospel, into your word, we pray over our province in Jesus' name. Lord, we lift up British Columbia. We lift up the fires. We lift up the people affected. Lord, right now I pray for Kelowna and West Kelowna, the different surrounding areas who are just being devastated by fires. Homes are being lost. Livelihoods are being struck, Lord. We know that you are a God who can be infinitely close in the hardest moments. And we pray with everything we have tonight that you would be so evidently close to the people who are affected. Be with firefighters, be with government workers and city workers, be with bylaw officers. I pray that no one would lose their life in this. Would you honestly protect those who are fighting fires like head on, be with the families who are being affected. And Jesus, we ask for rain. We ask that you would come. Your word says that you can command and control nature. We pray that you would. So Lord, be with our province now. And Lord, we ask that you would move in a mighty way. Be close to those people who are being displaced. Uh, Lord, it's in your hands and we trust you. And Kelowna and West Kelowna and our province needs you right now. So intervene in Jesus' mighty name, I pray. And everybody said... We're in the middle of, actually, no, we're not. We're coming to the end of Acts. And it's exciting because Paul's journey, honestly, is also coming to an end. Um, I know Pastor Adam preached last week in, in this similar text, but he really talked about kind of Paul's main journey, which is cool. He talked about the mystery of the gospel and how Paul was really, honestly, his first mission was to the Gentiles. And it was really cool kind of how it's all discussed here in his time with Agrippa. But I want to look at that same spot, Acts 26, but the trial itself. Because this trial is kind of jam-packed with a bunch of different pieces. You know, when we started this series, we started at part one, which was the power of the gospel. Mainly, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes on the scene. Jesus specifically said to his disciples, it is good for you that I go. Why? Because he was one person at one place at one time. But when the Holy Spirit comes, we can all receive, we can all benefit, we can all have him with us. And so that's a big deal. 
So the first five or six, cha- excuse me, five or six weeks, first 10 chapters were all about the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the gospel, and, and how that happened, the promised Holy Spirit. The next kind of 10 chapters and part two, if you will, was the growth of the gospel. So the power of the gospel, the Holy Spirit, the growth of the gospel, the early church, and how Paul was moving and planting churches. And it really kind of went from just disciples and Stephen and, and filling of the Spirit to Paul's journey and how he'd go somewhere, right? He'd get kind of like, he'd start debating and preaching in the synagogue and then he'd get thrown out and he'd go to the marketplace and he'd get thrown out and he kind of continued this journey through all these cities. And, and now we kind of reach part three. And I don't know if it was said last week, we're in the atrium and stuff, so I want to make sure it is said here. We went from the power of the gospel, the growth of the gospel, to the cost of the gospel. There is a cost to this whole thing for us and for Christ, and we're going to talk about that tonight. And I just don't want us to be, I don't want that to be lost on us, that there is a cost here. There is a real cost to Paul's life. You see that in the book of Acts, there was a cost to many of the disciples' lives. In fact, most of them lost their life. And so I want to focus today on this one trial because through Acts kind of 21-ish all the way to like 26, it's just trial after trial after trial. When I first kind of outlined this whole series, I was like, this, we can't do 100 weeks on trials. But this one specifically is really unique. I think so. And I don't want to gloss over it. And I know Adam kind of took a few chunks of scripture mainly kind of in that middle chunk. We're not even going to look at that tonight. We're going to look at the, the before and the after. And I don't know if it's just the way that I read the Bible if I'm just like always like trying to create drama in my head. But I read this trial scene and it's like, it's like, this is made for, this is made for film, guys. This is a good one. This is like, should be a movie or I read it like a movie. There's so much drama. There's so many like, dun, 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 like one-liners, mic drop moments. Like I read this and I'm like, this is a movie. Uh, I've just been away for two weeks, um, like even longer actually, two Sundays, almost three weeks. It was great for us to get away off the phone, off the emails, all of that. And on my holiday, me and Trina did something, my wife, we did something we have not done in so long. We, ha- we, 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 we experienced something magical, something monumental. It was incredible. We went to a movie and it was like, guys, it's, have you been? It's pretty awesome. And we didn't just go to a movie. We went to a matinee, right, on a Saturday. I had no kids. I was seven, five, one and a half year old. I actually don't remember where they were at that point. I was in a movie. I was in a movie and a matinee on a Saturday. By the way, if you're going to matinees on like Tuesdays or Wednesdays, we should talk. That's not good. But on Saturday, it's okay. And it was amazing. And we didn't just go to a matinee. We went to like the one down here at Capital Six where they have the reclining chairs. Did you know this? You know when they're like, hey, the IMAX at Cineflex, we have recliner chairs and it's just... Like it's all it does, and it's just actually really annoying the whole movie. No, these are like, like my feet were above my head. I wasn't even watching the movie. I was like looking at people behind me. It was awesome. Like I had, wow, what an experience. This is really good. We went to it. It was so fun. We saw, um, up in, we saw Barbie. That's what we saw. But what really matters is this. <laughs> don't email me about me. I don't care. It was good. Um, the best part about the movies, you know what it is? It's not like napping on a big recliner chair, which I didn't do. You know, I wouldn't nap. Come on. It's the trailers. Anyone else? I would pay to go to a movie, but then just go into the start of all the movies and just watch all the trailers. Are they different? Because if they are, I would do it. Anyone? Who loves the trailers? Who hates the trailers? And who hates it when I ask you to put up your hand? Whatever. Um, I think the trailers are the best. Because here's the thing. Growing up as a boomer, when I was young, trailers were like are you ready? And then they'd show you scenes for the greater, right? But now it's just like this really like 
beautiful two and a half minute cinematic adventure. Like it's like everything you need. You almost don't need the movie. Trailers are so good. But I was young. It was like, are you ready? And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, I am. Like I get really excited. And now they're just like, like all the things happen. It's so exciting. There's a new Willy Wonka movie coming out. Did you know? Trina leaned over. She's like, we should take the kids to that. I'm like, no, never taking kids here. This is my new happy place. Like I really enjoyed it. And this, honestly, I remember like as I read this again last night, as I was reading this, I'm like, this scene of Agrippa and Paul on a tri- at a trial is like, it's straight out of a movie. I'm not kidding you. There's so much drama. There's so much context. It, it, I don't, there's something here that I don't want us to miss. There's so much, I don't know, spin, action, and I'm going to share it with you tonight. It's going to be good. I want to give you a brief lesson, history lesson, if you will, on who Agrippa actually is. Because I think many of us don't even realize this. I didn't realize this until we studied this this time. King Agrippa II is actually in the line of Herod. And that name may sound familiar if you've read the Christmas story. The, the godfather, if you will, a little movie reference, no big deal, of the, Herod, of, of the Herod clan was Herod the Great. He was the guy who was trying to kill Jesus as a baby. That's right. And then after he died, Herod Antipas ruled during the ministries of John the Baptist and Jesus. And he, Herod Antipas, was actually at one of Jesus' trials. It's found in Luke 23. Herod Antipas killed, or actually I should say had uh, John the Baptist executed in Mark 6. And then Herod Agrippa, the first, his son, okay, comes up, was the king of Judea for a little while. And he's the one who had James executed. Why do I give you that history lesson? Because the three Herods above Herod Agrippa II, who Paul's going to go to trial with here, don't like Christians. <laughs> They've only ever tried to kill them or successfully killed them. Okay, that's kind of the relationship here. And so Herod Agrippa II was 17 when his father died and he was in Rome at the time. He was very favored by the emperor. And so for a little while, he stayed in Rome. He was actually given authority. He was made like a tetrarch of this Syrian kingdom and he was given responsibility and authority to actually supervise in the temple. It's a big deal. But then he gives up his authority but keeps his title. So this guy has given up all the things he's supposed to be taking care of But what does he want? King Agrippa. He actually has no, like, he doesn't do much. He's not well-liked by the Jews. He tries to kind of, like, mesh the relationship between the Jews and the Romans. Does it completely unsuccessfully. He ends up dying out eventually, and his line is no longer, the Herods are no longer after him. He's not successful. He's expelled by his Jewish subjects. He lives out the rest of his life, where? In the Holy Land? No, in Rome, protected by the Romans. And that's why King Agrippa is kind of this insulting line. Like, if you know a bit about his character and who he is, it's like, he's not really, like, is he, sure, kind of. The Romans have given him power to help the Jews not feel revolted, like, to to give the Jews comfort of some sort of sovereignty, meanwhile being completely ruled by the Romans. And in this moment where we find Paul, Governor Festus, okay, who's taken over for Felix, asked Paul if he would be willing to stand trial in Jerusalem. And Paul knows it's kind of a trap. He's like, if I do that, I got no chance. There's no way the Jews are going to let me out of that. So what he, he does, this is a sneaky move by Paul. Sneaky, sneaky, okay? Movie's lining up. You see, it's all so intense. Paul's like, you know what? I'm a Roman citizen, and I want to go in front of Caesar. And he had the right to do that as a Roman citizen. So Festus had no choice but to send him to Rome to see Caesar, which had the immediate result of kind of preserving Paul's life in front of the Jewish leadership. But here's the problem. Here's the tension, okay? Plot twist. Festus has nothing at all to actually pin on Paul. Like, Paul's done nothing wrong. So you have this governor who's like, okay, I could release him because he's innocent and the Jews will revolt and hate me. 
I could send him to Caesar, my boss, big man, and he's going to be real mad because I got nothing to pin on him. I could keep him here, but that also doesn't look good on me. Shows that I'm not making any decisions. So he has no idea what to do. Meanwhile, who walks in? King Agrippa. He just shows up. I don't know where you read this in Acts 25. Why? Because Agrippa, his sister, was married to who? Festus. Bow, bow, bow. See what I'm saying? Like, there's all this drama. And so they're like, brother-in-law comes over. He's like, hey, what's up? Family visit. And he's like, Agrippa, I got a question for you. Would you, have you heard of this guy named Paul? This is more of, you know what? You should talk to him because this is more of a religious thing. There's a political thing. Maybe you, and Agrippa's like, yeah, I, I would love to meet him. Absolutely. And Festus is loving this. And so he's like, you know what? I'll set it up. Let's do it tomorrow morning. So that's where we are. A huge history. The stage is set. The characters are seen. You have Agrippa, who is this kind of fake king, who's coming to talk with Paul, having a trial with him. You have Festus, who's hoping that Agrippa will find some evidence against Paul. And you have Paul, who's done nothing wrong, who keeps bouncing from trial to trial to trial. And in this moment, he is going to show you and me, and he's going to give an absolute, if I can, like a master class in defending his name and defending his faith. Are you ready? That sucked. But I know you're ready. I know you just don't respond that way, and I need to remember that, and that's okay. Whew, here we go. The next day, Agrippa, this is Acts 25. The next day, Agrippa and Bernice, that's his wife, came with a great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking military officers and the prominent men of the city. So you can just see it, right? Make way for king. That's what's happening right now. He's got all the people and the horns and the fluff and the... You know, none of you have seen Aladdin? Whatever. Gosh. Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man. The whole Jewish community has petitioned me about him in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. I found he had done nothing deserving of death, but because he made the appeal to the emperor, I was going to send him to Rome. But I have nothing definite to write to his majesty about him. Therefore, I have brought him before all of you, and especially you, King Grippa. Like, it's just so, like, he's just playing to his ego. Anyway, so it says, so that as a result of this investigation, I may have something to write. For I think it's unreasonable to send a prisoner onto Rome without any specific charges against him. Duh, right? Of course. Acts 26. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Thank you. Now, I'm making fun of him, but I want you to see this. Paul is so honoring in this moment. Again, master class of Paul. Here it goes. So Paul motioned with his hand, and he began his defense. King Agrippa, I know you guys read some of this last week, but we're going to tackle different things, okay? King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews. And especially so because you are well acquainted with the Jewish customs and controversies. That's important. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jewish people all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that I conform to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. Now, we've learned a lot about Paul in this series so far. And I think you could probably, if we just got in groups and mentioned it, you could name some characteristics of Paul. Steadfastness, loyalty, intelligence, courage, bravery. Another one is this, integrity. Like, I think his integrity is honestly unmatched. 
I think it is unmatched in so many different ways. This is important. He is loyal, he's brave, he's all these things, but he here takes the time to defend his name, to remind everyone of his integrity to the Jewish practices. This is good. And listen, I know we're talking about Paul who like, let's be honest, he was murdering Christians, right? Like he was, he was carrying out murderous threats, the Bible said. So you're like, really? We're gonna say Paul was like a guy of integrity? Yeah, absolutely we will. Because whether he was a Pharisee or whether he was a Christian, he never was like a, a hypocrite. He wasn't always right. That's, that's the difference here. And I think this is a key, like, a key thing for all of us tonight. Integrity is not about being right all the time. It's about being trustworthy. It's about being upright. It's about sticking to your convictions. Whether right or wrong, Paul, in this moment, he's saying to everyone, hey, listen, I wasn't always right, but you could bring anyone up here, anyone here, you could bring them up and let them testify about me because they know I never said one thing and then, and then did another. I didn't say one thing to your face and did another thing behind your back. I didn't take bribes. I wasn't doing this or that, nothing. I was who I was. I was who I said I was. And you and I all know it. You can trust what I'm about to say. Why? Because of everything that I lived out. And I just want to say to all of us that defending his faith was easier because he never dishonored his name. And I think there's something key here that we, as people, I know lots of us, we want to preach and we want to help our friends see that in this, but honestly, living a life of integrity is the first step to reaching people, to loving people, to being a good human. Like Paul writes in, in the Philippians, he said, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. And I think there's something really powerful here. Live in such a way that people want to follow you. Live in such a way that you could get up and say, hey, listen, anyone can testify about me and they know exactly, I know exactly what they're gonna say. He was so confident he was willing to let someone else do his own defense. Consider that for a moment. I love Paul's integrity and I think there's something powerful here and I think there's something powerful for us. Defending the faith in your name starts with what? Your life, not your words. Let's keep reading because I want to hit something uh, later on in this, in this section here. In verse 6 it says, And now it is because of my hope and what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because, again, I love that he's honoring to him. I think it's powerful. It is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? Guys, this is like an important moment. He is confronting Agrippa. He is not being kind. He's like, hey, listen, this is the promise that we've talked about for years. This is the promise that our, our, our ancestors hoped to see is the Messiah. You guys are getting mad at me for something we've hoped for for decades. Like, what are we talking about here? Paul made it clear that in his heart and mind, he had remained a faithful Jew, but his Jewish faith actually led him into the Christian faith. He's saying, listen, what I believe about God has actually helped me to believe more about Jesus. That's what he's getting out. Like, there's an outgrowth here. And since Agrippa, this is important, was to be an expert in all the customs and questions which have to do with Jews, he's playing off of that understanding to make his case. You see what's happening here? Like he's kind of, it's that gotcha moment in the movie. He's like, hello. This would have been that courtroom scene that like dropped the mic. Like he's got him. He's going, he's going like, I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Like that moment. You know, it's true. It's like that epic one-liner, like 
you had me, shut up, you had me at hello, like the whole, you know what I'm saying? Like, Luke, I am your father, like, say hello to my little friend, like that. Like those epic, you know what I'm saying? It's those moments. Nobody puts baby in a corner. It doesn't matter. Like, all feel the need for speed. You get it? Like, this is that moment. This, if you know all those movies, find me later. I'll buy you coffee for a month. There's no way you do. There's no way any of you do. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? Think about verse 8 for a moment. He's talking to someone who should know the customs of his Jewish faith. Do you not know what the prophets are saying? He's, like, this is what he's getting at. He's like, do we not believe that God made the sun stand still? Do, do we not talk and believe that God sent manna and quail from heaven? <laughs> doesn't it say in Exodus, doesn't God say to us, is my arm too short in reference like, can, you really don't think I can do that? Don't we talk about how God split the sea so we could walk right through it? And yet you're pinning me on trial for what? For believing that he raises someone from the dead? Do you see what he's doing here? I really want you to see this because I think this is important. This is like, a, again, masterclass point two, if you will. He's finding places of common ground. Because he's trying, and I really believe this to be true. If you're a skeptic even in the room and you have a lot of questions about, your, about faith, about Christianity, but you've been coming, you've been enjoying, that's awesome. I believe that we have common ground. You're not alone in your questions or your doubt. And I don't want you to think that you, have, you don't have anything you could come, like there is common ground because finding places of common ground is a lot more fruitful than fighting over who has the higher ground. I don't have interest in fighting over who has the higher ground. I have interest in finding common ground and in seeing if there's a place to find Christ at the center. And I really think for many of you too in here as you're having hard conversations, finding places of common ground rather than trying to like debate or one-liner or punch this or sending that clip or whatever it is, let's not fight for the higher ground. Specifically to Christians, I think finding places of common ground does you better. So he makes his case, he's finding common ground and then he tells his story. Pastor Chris mentioned this in the morning services last week. And so I don't want to go too far in this because this is where Adam really went to. But he does say this one thing. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus. This is verse 12. So he starts to tell his testimony. About noon, King Agrippa, I was on the road. I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. Verse 14. We all fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Again, you saw this in Acts 9. But then he also says this, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting, the Lord replied. I want to know if anyone caught that. This part, it is hard for you to kick against the goads, he doesn't mention that in his other trials. He doesn't, he doesn't mention that in Acts 9. That's not recorded there. So Luke, for some reason, mentions this line that Paul has told him in Acts 26, but not in Acts 22, <clears throat> excuse me, 22 or or Acts 9. Why is that here in this moment? He says, I, I heard some, a voice saying to me, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, can we just be honest? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Is that not the weirdest sentence you've ever heard? Like when you first heard it, you're like, did he just swear at me? Like what, what's going on here? Like it's kind of a funny, no, I, th- I think it's so funny. Like it's this weird thing. And I didn't realize this. It's not some like, thing from, you know, Micah or Obadiah or something like that. This is a Greek proverb, and it's familiar to many Jews because it had agricultural, like, nuance to it, context to it. And so an ox goad was a stick with a pointed piece of, like, iron on the tip, and it was used when oxen were, were, were plowing. 
And so if the oxen was going off trail, you'd poke it and you'd get it back on the right path. Or if it just didn't want to move, it was just being stubborn that day. And you're like, let's go. And it wouldn't go. Let's go. And it wouldn't go. You start prodding. You start poking. Listen, I'm just telling you this was how it happened. I see some people like, that's horrible. It's history, okay? (laughs) It's history. It's just what it is. So sometimes the animal would rebel and sometimes you'd have to give it a push. In essence, the more the ox rebelled, please hear this, the more the ox rebelled, the more it suffered. Because at the end of the day, the goat would win, not the ox. What Jesus was saying to Paul and what Paul repeats here at his trial to King Agrippa and everyone who is listening is this. And I, I really want us to hear this tonight. He's like, why are you fighting? You're rebelling against God. Jesus is saying to Paul, your rebellion against me is a losing battle. You can continue to kind of beat your head against the wall and do the same thing over and over. Paul, you, you think that you're going to go to Damascus and find some more Christians. You're not. I'm not letting you do that anymore. I have a different plan for your life. I have a greater purpose for your life. And Paul is saying it is hard for you, for me, for us to kick against the goats, to, to, to beat against the goats. Like he's saying, he's, he's in, essentially saying Proverbs 13, that good, fav, good judgment wins favor, but the way of the unfaithful leads to destruction, Proverbs 13, 15 says. Or the way of the unfaithful is hard, hard. How much better, you guys, is it to humbly just concede to God's plan? to his voice, to his purpose for your life. Allowing him full control and letting him lead your life. By resisting God's authority, we're only punishing ourselves. We're only missing out on the life that he's actually created us to live. We're living this kind of false life that we think we're supposed to do. We're carrying all the weight by ourselves. How hard is it to go about life all on your own? Because what happens when things get really hard? Who's there to pick you up? Who's there to support you? Friends, sometimes it, it really comes down to you yourself. And Paul is literally saying here, it's hard enough doing life on your own. That is why I just submit. I humbly say, God, whatever your plan is, I'm with it. It is hard for you to kick against the goals. This line is so unique. And I just think, honestly, you guys, if you just talk to a Christian, especially if you're like a non-believer in here, a skeptic, like what's the big deal? Like my life's fine, sure. But listen, there's something so powerful about salvation. I I remember for me, it was like I was no longer thirsty. Like I had been thirsting for something again and again and again and I had tried to fill it with different things or people or friends or girlfriends or whatever it was. And finally it was like, oh. I think for, like, it was like this weight just came off my chest. I no longer was carrying this thing, this sin, this heaviness. Like I just became light and able. I was able to have peace and rest. This is how gracious God is, is he says, listen, stop fighting me. Stop living a life of disobedience. Just follow, trust me on this. Why you persecute me, he said, it is hard for you to kick against the goad. You can stand there all you want, but at the end of the day, he's like, the goad's gonna win. So embrace the life I have for you. And that's what he's trying to say even to Agrippa here. Listen, how long are you gonna keep up this charade? How long are you gonna keep up this whole life of yours? This kingship? You know the Old Testament and you know what's going on and he's about to actually confront him in a big way. What I think is so powerful about our God though is that even though 
even though he's saying it's hard for you to kick against God's meaning, like, I don't know why you're fighting against me. I'm God. He still gives you and I a choice to say, I will obey. That's what's so powerful about the Christian faith, is that even though he is saying, this is God Almighty, the creator of the universe, like that, he can change things, he can move, all those things, he's all powerful, we believe. Even though that is the case, he gives you the choice. He gives you the choice. And so in verse 19, Paul says this, so then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. What is he saying with that? He's saying, listen, my experience on the road to Damascus was undeniable. I don't care what anyone says. There was people there who saw it. My, all my companions fell, the Bible said. So listen, what happened to me, I will not, I cannot, I will not ever deny what took place, what happened. It was incredible. The impact was like, I can't even put words to it, indescribable. The experience I had, and I know for many of you, you've had a similar experience. It's been here. It's been a first Wednesday. It's been at a, you know, in a new spade as a youth. Whatever it is, for you, you've had an experience that you cannot deny. It is that powerful. For him, the evidence from the prophets was indisputable. Paul's listening like, listen, I've looked back. I see everything pointing to this Messiah. He's here now. I can't dispute that. My experience, undeniable. The evidence, undisputable. So therefore, my obedience is inexcusable. Are you seeing how these link? He's like, listen, what I saw and what happened to me, can't describe it, but it happened. The evidence points to him. So guess what? I'm gonna be obedient. There's nothing else for me. Why are you guys getting so mad at me? If you believe God of the Old Testament, you see what's happened in my life, you must know this is the only path for me. And this is where he defends his name and defends his actions. And I get it, because I've had the same moments. I've had experiences, again, undeniable. I believe that we have evidence that is indisputable. You've heard me talk about it in this series. So my obedience as a Christian, not as a pastor, as a Christian is inexcusable. This is what I am called to be and to do, and I will follow to the very best of my abilities, and will it be days I mess up? Absolutely. But I will continue to push forward. Guys, this is your church. I'll keep going. This is a church for a hundred years in this place and in other buildings of people filled all day long that say, listen, my experience was undeniable. This is a church that stands on what we believe is millennia of evidence pointing to the Messiah, that Jesus was a real person who loves you, who is for you, who died for you. It's indisputable. And so our obedience as a church is inexcusable, unmistakable. We have to be a church that continues to send funds to missionaries all over the world, to places, honestly, we can't even tell you about. To people you, you'll never meet because they're in places that are so challenging, so dark, so hard. This is why we continue to pour into the next generation. This is why we're not just a church, but a church that plants churches. This is why we do Alpha and Freedom and Youth and Kids and ESL and Welcome Wagon. That's why we've planted a college and that's why every Sunday we preach the good news of Jesus Christ. Because it's undeniable. And honestly, we believe we have a heavenly vision as a church. And anything outside of obedience is disobedience. That may sound really heavy to some of you tonight. But it's really, this whole goads piece, I think, has just struck me like, I don't want to just continue to go my own way feeling heavy, feeling hot, like difficulty, feeling a challenge. I want to follow whatever it is God has for me. I want to be obedient. And so I live my life the best I can. And that's what Paul is saying. Listen, so of course, I can't live a disobedience. I have to listen to Jesus. He goes on and he keeps talking and 
So then King Agrippa was not disobedient to the vision of heaven. He begins to talk about why the Jews seized him, how God has helped him. And he even said, I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets of Moses said would happen. I'm not saying anything different. And at this point, it says in verse 24, and this part I find interesting, Festus interrupts Paul's defense. He stops him. You're out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. Verse 25, I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. So now they're in a match. They're fighting. They're going at it, right? But Paul keeps it calm. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. So he's putting it back to Agrippa. Notice he's changing. He's not talking to Festus. He's going back to Agrippa, and he's saying, I am convinced that none of this has escaped your notice. He's appealing to him. He's confronting him. He said, it was not done in a corner. I'll get to that in a minute. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I believe, I know you do, he says. <laughs> I love this. He doesn't ask him if he believes in Jesus. He asks him, do you believe in the prophets? Because he knew if he followed the prophets, right? And what, he, what he's saying here about this, um, this, because it was not done in a corner, he's saying, I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice. What he's actually talking about there is the gospel. He's saying, I know over here what's happening. Jesus Christ died, crucified. You've heard about that. I also know, you know all about the prophets and all that has taken place that points to the Messiah. You have this information, right? You see this, but you also know about this. And he's trying to bridge the gap. He's trying to bring them together. He knew if he could just lead him with reason and honesty, he wanted to help him connect what he already believed and what he should believe. And he gives him this invitation. But this is what happens. This is what happens. Then Agrippa said to Paul, verse 28, our movie ending. But you know the endings that you, you want but don't really happen, but you know it's probably true, so you have to live with it? This is that ending in the movie, okay? Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you could persuade me to be a Christian? Oh. You know, another version says, you almost persuaded me. You almost persuaded me. Paul replied, short time, or long, I pray to God not only, excuse me, that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. Man, the humility of Paul, the graciousness of Paul. Saying, I hope you get all, all of the Christ and none of the cost. If I have to wear these, but you hear the message, I will wear these. The king rose, and with him the governor and Bernice, that's his wife, and those sitting with him, after they left the room, they began saying to one another, this man is, doing, is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. What he's basically saying is, he's already appealed to Caesar, he has to go. I wipe my hands of this, because truly, he doesn't want to get involved. He wants the title, he wants none of the authority. He wants the power, none of the decision, none of the problem. But he's saying, if it was my decision, this man's done nothing wrong. And I can't help but think of King Agrippa being faced with such challenges and tensions. Because here's the thing, in our story here, Paul's the main character, right, of the movie? He, he's got the most lines, whatever it is. But King Agrippa, there's something really unique here. Does he want to surrender his life? Maybe. Is he tired of kicking against the goads? Maybe. 
everywhere around him, he sees peer pressure. Like here's, here, here's Agrippa's life. Start with that. Here's Agrippa's life. He's listening to Paul. But beside him, he has Festus, who's like, really needs his help. Needs something he can pin on Paul to send him on his way. So he's got peer pressure from the governor, a man's man, a guy who's got power and responsibility. He's looking for help. He's looking for Agrippa to basically make this happen for him. So he's feeling the pressure from the brother-in-law, guy in power. He's got pressure from his wife, who, by the way, plot twist, also his sister. Didn't tell you that. Just remembered as I was preaching, right? Oh. And so he's got that moral dilemma And if he becomes a Christian, that's going to change this relationship just a little bit. Just a little bit. Can't be doing that, right? Can't be doing that. So he's got that relationship. He's got Festus. And he's got all these Jews looking at him who don't really like him. And then he sees Paul. A man he, I I believe he probably admires. A man who, we all know, he already talked about this. A man who stuck to his heavenly vision, believed in what God was you know, going to use him for, continued to believe not just in redemption for the Jews, but also the Gentiles, like Adam preached last week. He's a guy who, like, he's given his life for the gospel. Despite his life being in chains, Paul says, I'm content. How can you not want to, like, follow that guy and also receive what he is proposing? So maybe Agrippa just can't bear the cost of the gospel. And he leaves on an almost. And I'm wrapping up here. He leaves on an almost persuaded. Maybe if I had a little more time. Maybe if I just had, maybe if the message was just a little bit better, Paul, maybe you would have had me. I can't think this is kind of us sometimes. We're ready to receive, we're ready to accept. But you know what? I'm just not, I'm not there yet. I have some questions. No, maybe when small group semester starts, that's a better time for me to receive and really believe. You know, they played gratitude this week. It's not my favorite. Therefore, I'll wait till next week to really have that moment with Jesus. Maybe Pastor Adam can preach again next week. That would be better. If he preaches, then we'll be, then I'll be ready. We make up excuses. I'm not even trying to be funny. I'm, I'm being really honest. We make up silly excuses and we leave Sunday night on an almost. You know, I get to write a lot of sermons and I'm really grateful for it. And I write a lot thinking of the morning services. I have to consider the nine, all this, but when I saw this line, I thought of you guys. I thought of this service. This almost a Christian, this sort of I think I know what I'm thinking, but I'm not sure what I'm feeling. We feel this pressure. I think like Agrippa, we feel pressure from friends, from roommates. We have a coworker who wants us to go and party. We have a friend who wants us to stay in and, and, and never drink and, and read the Bible for 45,000 hours a day. And we don't know what to do. And we're constantly feeling this tension of who I'm supposed to be and how I'm supposed to be and what I'm supposed to be. And we want to live a life of devotion of obedience, but we're constantly being pulled into these different atmospheres and environments. You know, I was talking to some guys this morning, Callum, he mentioned this, I thought it was a really cool thought. He's like, we're kind of like chameleon Christians, where we blend in to how we need to blend, to feel accepted, right? To feel like I have Jesus just enough, probably for heaven, but not enough that it costs me anything. And that is the line of almost we do not want to cross.
we feel like almost is enough. I go to church, that's enough. I, I read this much, is that enough? We think, what's the bare minimum to be enough? And it costs us nothing. And yet Paul stands there in chains and says, I hope you have everything I get except this. And for some we say maybe next time, I'm not ready, I'm not deserving. And yet it's interesting, we just sang a song that said, I know I don't deserve this kind of love. <laughs> yet somehow this love is who you are. This, it's a grace I could never add up. To be somebody you still want, somehow you love me as you find me. We don't deserve it. That's the whole point. It's grace. It's unmerited favor from God. And so I, I just have to like push tonight. I have to really ask you to consider tonight. Friends, Jesus didn't almost go to the cross. It cost him everything. He didn't almost go to the cross. He didn't go down for one day. He, he literally died on the cross for you and for me, for your sin and for my sin, for the sin of the world. And he sat there for three days dead, but he rose again so you and I can have victory in Christ, so we can have peace that transcends all understanding, so that we can have hope in a world that feels hopeless, so that we can have life and joy and family, and we can have moments that feel truly transcendent to the material world. That is what happens when you receive the gospel. It didn't, he didn't almost go to the cross. The cross had a cost. It was his life for yours. And he said, absolutely, I would love to do that. You, like, it's gonna be challenging, but I will go if that is the will of God. And he went, because you were worth it to him. So yes, there might be a cost to standing up and defending your faith. So yes, you might have to actually get rid of that almost line and fully step in like we sang tonight. Like, if you want my heart, I won't second guess anymore. I'm all in, whatever you have for me. I don't wanna live a life for me. I don't wanna live a life for my sake or for my name. I'm not living for anything else. I don't wanna be disobedient. I don't wanna keep going my path. I wanna live a life of obedience towards Jesus, are you hearing me tonight? Because I think this matters. I really think this matters. So don't wait anymore. Don't leave almost ready. Don't bring almost into tomorrow. Almost is over. Make a decision. I promise you, a decision for Jesus is the greatest decision you could ever make. There is a love and a grace and a hope and a faith that will build you up in a way you never thought possible. Robbie, would you join me? I just, just team, hold on a sec. I'm just gonna ask Robbie to come up because I believe there's a moment that we need to have tonight. He didn't know I was gonna do this. Sorry, Robbie. Thanks, Robbie. Would you just, Robbie, could you just play the start of As, as You Find Me Again, the first verse? I just think those lines, man, I think they resonate with so many people here. And I wonder if, I know this is weird, we don't do this usually if you're new, my bad. Um, I just want you to see these lines. Because here's the thing, the wrestle is real. I'm not unaware of that. But I want you to wrestle. Because I don't want you to leave on it almost anymore. So you just play from the start of the song, Robbie. Just go ahead, get us to that chorus, and then I'll take over and we'll pray. And the team can come up and we'll sing. Just read these lyrics. 
sing if you want. It's all good. Chase my heart adrift and drifted on again. Right. Plundered blessing till I've been desperate to find redemption. And every time I turn around, Lord, you're still Just pause for a sec, buddy. That's the line we find ourselves in tonight. Wrestling. Trembling. Standing tall and shattered and broken. We can go on day by day. You can walk this life, try and fix it on your own. You can understand there's a God who really loves you. And there's a cross that he really went to. And he bore that cross. And he took the cost so you could have freedom, so you could have healing, so you could have hope, so you could have peace. And every time you turn around, he's right there. Because that next line says, I was found before I got lost. I was yours before I was not. Can you sing the chorus for us, Robbie? Would you stand to your feet? Sing this with Robbie. Come on, sing. Before I was lost. Come on, declare tonight. Don't hold back. Come on. Grace to spare. Grace to spare. Come on. Yes. I know I. Eyes closed. Would you sing it? Come on. Grace I could never add up. Somebody you still want. Somehow. rest of the team can join us and I just want to pray over you now would you just pray with me eyes closed posture your heart to receive not almost receive not maybe receive but to receive tonight Lord I pray for every single soul in here I pray for the, the, the person the man the woman the couple the parent the student who is facing doubt, who is wavering right now, like their faith feels like one step and I'm gone. Who feels like there's a line in the sand that says I'm almost done. Lord, I pray that you would change their heart tonight. Holy Spirit, would you come in this place and bring love and grace and truth into every life, into every heart, into every family, into every soul. Lord, your grace is enough. Your mercies are new every single morning. And I pray by your spirit, Lord, right now that every person could receive that strength of faith tonight. Lord, I pray there would be nobody who leaves here almost ready. Nobody who leaves here, oh, I needed a little bit more time. That right now we would make a decision that says I'm all in. So if that's you, you can just humbly say, Lord, I am sorry I went my own way. I choose you. 
you can literally repeat after me, and I'm not trying to make you pray a prayer or raise your hand tonight. I want you to make the decision tonight that you're ready, that you're diving in, that you're good to go, that you want a savior, a friend like Jesus. You just say, Jesus, I am sorry for my past, but I turn and I make you my future. Lord, thank you for the cross. I repent and I run to you who has open arms. Jesus, you found me and I need you. I heard someone pray this morning as I pray with them after service that I need you, Lord, more than anything else. I loved it. It was such a powerful and beautiful prayer. It was this humble submission saying, I need you. Just go ahead and say, Lord, I need you. Lord, I choose you. Come on. Tonight, someone's making a decision for Jesus, a decision for themselves that says Jesus is Lord over everything, Savior over everything. Lord, I repent and I run to you. I choose you tonight, Jesus. Let there be boldness in the room tonight, God, to really, truly choose you in Jesus' mighty name. Lord, we declare boldly, with strength, with faith, with hope, that you are the answer we need, not ourself. God, I ask that tonight we would recognize that there might be a cost to this whole thing, but you certainly know what that means. You've paid it in full, and now we receive the blessing. Thank you, Jesus, that you didn't almost go to the cross. And tonight, I don't almost follow you. I solely and holistically choose you and follow you to live a life of obedience every single day. If that's you, would you sing? Would you lift your hands? Would you be obedient tonight? We're gonna sing that bridge one more time. If you want, I'm all in. I won't second guess anymore. Come on, let's lift it up. Make that your prayer. Make that your bold declaration. You're choosing Jesus tonight more than anything else. Come on, let's sing. Make a decision tonight. If you want, my heart, Lifting your hands as a sign of God. I'm in, I'm submitted. I want you more than anything else. Come on. No more almost. No more almost. Come on. Yes, come on. You are my heart. I won't say. Yes. 